Welcome to another episode of the Get Your Edge podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bott. I'm here with my co-host, Coach Manchie. Dino, we got a great guest on for tonight. We've got a world-renowned author, leader, coach, all kinds of good stuff for our listeners. Brian, I'll tell you, this Appleton area is just loaded with so many <laughs> talented individuals like Lucas. So this has been awesome to finally get connected with him and get him on this podcast because obviously we love to uh, – really make sure we um, get a lot of Wisconsin guests on the podcast. So welcome, Lucas. Well, it's a it's amazing, Dean, that I could actually have a business function without having anything in the Appleton area for this long. <laughs> but, but we are coming to Appleton. We'll be there in March. We've got a couple of things lined up beforehand. Um, but before we kind of get into Lucas Jaden, who's our guest here, make sure those of you that are our listeners and we, you know, we check some analytics today and obviously we've got um, a lot of people tuning into the show on a regular basis and, and whatnot, but we also have a lot of people sharing the show. Uh, and that's, you know, the best way for a lot of things to get out. Word of mouth is is probably the best marketing tool that we all have um, in, in different industries. So uh, if you get something out of the show, if you get you know, get a message, get something that you want to share, share it with your athletes, share it with your, your family or whatever, but please keep sharing the show um you know we've been doing this now this is going to be episode 140 something so we've been doing this well over two years Dino it's been a blast and um you know it's it's continuing to grow so that's exciting uh anything Fox Valley throws before we before we get going yeah Brian we start January 7th is when we start our winter sessions and those will go four Sundays in January four in February and then March track starts and all the spring sports will start in the state of Wisconsin so we're super excited to give kids an edge going into their um, spring season. Boy, and we really work together here. We'll have a, really have an edge here with that Fox Valley Throws Club. Um, anyways, let's get rock and rolling here with Lucas Jaden. Lucas, how you doing, man? I'm great, guys, and I'm honored to be here. Awesome, awesome. Well, Lucas, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, some of the stuff you've done, and, and, and let's kind of get rock and rolling here. Awesome. So I grew up in, I'm a proud Freedom, Wisconsin alumni, and so just honored to come from that community, and um, early on sports were were the passion, just like many of your listeners most likely, and um, I played everything from basketball to baseball to football, had a very convincing cross-country coach who, against all odds, got me in the short shorts, and I ended up actually running cross-country and track in high school. Uh, because of the guy that he was. And over the years, I think that um, people would have said that my strength was, part of my strength was the mental side of, of my game, just being a thinker, being able to get an edge that way. But what a lot of people didn't know is it was also my holdup. And that's where my journey really began in mental skills is because I faced some really difficult moments as eighth grade, freshman year, I just had a, a mind that when I would lay down at sleep to go to sleep at night would just take off. I don't know if you guys or any of your listeners have experienced it, but it was just gone. Thinking about the future, my future rankings, opportunities, the past, obsessing over what I could have done better or changed. And to the tune of, I just was not able to sleep. And I can remember vividly one night, literally praying, just saying, God, if you can just help to calm my mind so that I can sleep, so that I can do what I love, I will give back as much as I can to help others in that process. And so they say a lot of times pain is the greatest fuel, and I believe it. 
um, because that was the start of this journey for me. And fast forward, I graduated as a teacher and coach. Um, and that's my students and athletes were kind of the real-time lab for applying mental skills. And uh, I left teaching full-time at 26. Uh, and two years later, was able to coach some, be coaching executives and leaders like Dave Roberts from the LA Dodgers and others that really helped to propel my career. And then finally today, get to partner five years later with um, an incredible guy and Steve Jones, just a great friend and partner and get to influence people around the world in this. And the reason I share it is because it all started with a lot of pain. And I think for a lot of people listening, the reason they're really good at something is because they had to solve it for themselves first. And so that's the the quick overview of, of my backdrop. Well, Lucas, I, I would tell you what, you know, we're kind of going through your bio and I mean, there's some impressive stuff that you've done in there, but um, you know, from sports advantage standpoint, we have a consulting um, situation we do with high schools and every month we do different shares and, you know, last month we did a book share, you know, we do every month we, we share a different book. And coincidentally, uh, the book that we recommended was Win in the Dark, nice. uh, which, you know, it, it's an incredible book. I mean, I've read it cover to cover, but it also is one of those book titles that's a tagline now. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, you know, like when you hear people, um, when you hear people say that, because coaches are constantly using that message, right? I mean, how does that make you feel for one? And then like, where'd the title come from and what does it mean to you? And just keep going. I got to, I got to try something here. Keep going. Of course. Well, thank you. And I appreciate you sharing the book first off. Um, So when in the dark is a special, it's a special story to me because uh, it's a very personal journey. The The mentor in the story was my grandfather, uh, based after my grandfather. And the stories mean a lot. And when I hear people using it, it just, if it can help them, that's why we wrote it and why it brings a lot to me. Now, where it comes from, that title is very specific, though. So my mother growing up um, was, when I think about Win in the Dark, I think of my parents. And my mother was one of the leaders in it. She ran for the Badgers back in the day, and then continued a very serious running career throughout when I was a kid. And after cross country wrapped up, it was basketball season in high school. But I knew if I wanted to be good, I had to start training in that season still. So my my mother would run at 5.15 a.m. every day. And as you guys know, in Wisconsin, in the winter, it is dark. And so I started to run with her after cross country wrapped up. And I can remember thinking, man, once the snow starts, like then we're going to ease up. Like then there's no way she can run every day for 45 to 60 minutes. But I'll never forget the first day it snowed about 12 inches on the ground. And I wake up and I'm like, oh, thank goodness. We're not going to run this morning. But she opens up my door, says it softly like, hey, I'm going to go run if you want to come. And in my head, I'm like, where? <laughs> like, how are we going to run? We lived in the middle of the country. Uh, but I, I got my way out there. There was no way I was going to let my mother go and show me up that morning. And I get out there and she showed me how she did it in the dark. She literally would just run a path through the snow around our house, about a 45 second to one minute loop. And we would just pound through the snow until there was a path. And then we would do that loop 45 to 50 times. And you talk about winning in the dark. That's literally what it means to me is 
how are you doing things today that nobody wants to do? So you get to do very few things tomorrow that everyone would want to do. And she set that up for me in the most incredible way. Um, and so that's the tagline is, you know, some people think you shine under the bright lights, but the bright lights only reveal your work in the dark is what are we doing behind the scenes? What are we doing when nobody's watching? But that was just, you know, the surface level underneath it was. And then if the greatest athletes win in the dark, what holds up people when they're in the dark? What gets in the way? And that's where, when I started doing this one-on-one -on -one training, I found that people didn't want to talk to me about their bright days, like the days where they felt great. They wanted to talk to me about what we call the dungeon days. And these are the darkest days when you're in the dark. It's when you wake up and things are just harder. You don't know your why. You forgot why you're doing it. Things don't seem to be going the way you're going. There's that voice in your head that's saying it's not going to work out, that you're going to give your everything, but your everything's not going to quite be enough. And to me, I hope what people get out of that story is not only to work hard when nobody's watching, but to for the second thing is you're not broken for the dungeon, but it will break you down if you don't learn to win in the dark and handle that voice when you're all alone trying to train in the morning, telling you that you're crazy. When you're doing things that other people aren't willing to do, you have to be able to work through what we call that little person voice. So to me, it was work really hard, but then also stay on it when that little person, that inner critic inside gets loud. That th Those voices, right? It's kind of like the cartoon, right? Where you have the angel and the devil, right? And when that devil's speaking to you, it's real easy to, to kind of, you know, go away from, like you said, what your why is and things like that. It's, it's really hard to train your mind um, to do that, but you have to practice it. It, it. it comes with practice every day, right? No doubt. Absolutely. Lucas, one other thing with that win in the dark, was there, is that anything to do with the social media craze now and everybody that, you know, every time they do something athletically, you know, they're posting it, whether it's on Instagram, Twitter, anything like that, did that have anything, you know, in the play as far as when you wrote the book? You know, we absolutely. Um, because the way I actually, I have so much respect for our high school athletes today. I don't know about you guys, but they have an environment that is crazy, that is difficult, and there is so much noise. And to us, the thing that we recognize, though, is staring at the scoreboard doesn't get you to win more, right? A lot of times, the teams that I've found won the most talked about winning the least. And you know this, Dean, from all your success. Um, and what I found at my with my classes, I have about 100 students every single year that go through a mental skills class that I get to help lead is having the discipline to tune out social media and just go to work in the dark when nobody's watching is a really important skill. And so it absolutely correlated with it. Um, and I think is not going away anytime soon. The ability to focus on the key fundamentals to drive results, one of which is not how many followers you have on Instagram or TikTok is going to be crucial as we go forward. Let's shift over to the Twin Thieves. You know, you and Steve wrote that book and, you know, that fear of judgment, fear of failure. I just I just love it. Not only did I read Win in the Dark, but I also read Twin Thieves. So talk a little bit about that process of writing a book. Obviously, you and Steve, you know, collaborated and wrote that together. And then what that means to you and Steve. 
Man, that's um, yeah. I mean, just to go back to winning the dark with when I think of Steve, I think of winning the dark. Um, the first time that I met Steve Jones, I was basically begging to meet because I was coaching JV basketball at Appleton North High School, a, a rival school that um, Steve finally was willing to say, all right, you can come in and we can have a conversation because I just wanted to see like what was happening at Kimberly, you know, what was, and to be honest, I was hoping I was going to find out like a secret sauce or a little potion that y'all had. And what I found was it was unfortunately just an incredible amount of work that people were putting behind the scenes. I walked into that meeting thought thinking that I worked hard, but after I left was like, my goodness, I didn't understand someone could break down film of practice and send out notes to individual players like you all did. Like, I didn't understand that level of wind in the dark. And so um, to be able then to partner with Steve was really special for the Twin Thieves because both of us are educators. Both of us cut our teeth in the classroom, which we're really proud of because we think our stuff that we teach is very tangible because if it works with kids, it'll work with adults. And one thing that we were asking a lot was, to our high performers, we would ask an anonymous survey. What is the toughest mental challenge that you face to be the best version of yourself? And he was asking his students. I was also at this time working with some executives in the professional world asking the same question. And we now have about 50,000 responses to that one question. What is the toughest mental challenge you face to be your best? And if we had to boil it all down, it came to the twin thieves. The twin thieves are the fear of failure, the fear of judgment. And Steve named them in a brilliant way because if we don't name it, it's hard to tame it, right? So before we can rise above it, we can't beat an invisible opponent. So we wanted to name what we were hearing coming out. And what we found is not only was it pervasive among the highest performers down to you know older performers down to students was that very few people had a system to rise above it. So the twin thieves were the fear of failure, fear of judgment. And we started asking this question that I, I would love to flip back to you guys is when you think about your athletes, we call them thieves because they can rob a lot from you if you don't systematically and intentionally rise above them. What do you see them robbing from your athletes or even yourselves if you don't rise above the twin thieves? Dino, you want to go first? Go ahead, Brian. Well, I mean, I can look at it, you know, because I talk about it with my staff too. Um, with the fear of judgment, right? I mean, there, there are so many people out there um, that that think they know sports performance or they, they think they have a, a better um, solution, yet they're bringing their kids to us to train. And, and our thing is always, well, if, you're, if you have a better solution, then why are you bringing them to us? And I think we're, we're pretty firm in our system. Um, we, don't, we don't do a, a you, you know, how do I want to say this here? Our system is our system, and that's what we're going to use. And getting a young trainer or a young coach to be confident enough to be um, strong in our system, strong in our beliefs, and be okay with a parent or, or an athlete saying, this isn't for us, I think that is the hardest thing. Um, you know, and then judging our systems because it comes from you know, X, Y, and Z. You know, or, or people have the perception it comes from powerlifting or it comes from, you know, any type of background. And so um, I think the fear of judgment really plays into our young trainers and directors minds, um, you know, and then obviously the fear of failure 
plays in with them as well as you want to try and get as many kids in the gym as you can. And realizing that, you know, every kid isn't going to want to train here. And, and even when they walk in the door, you know, every kid doesn't love the weight room and every kid isn't going to be a college athlete. So if they're, if they don't, if they have a goal to be a college athlete and they don't reach that goal, is it our fault? You know, or did we fail that kid? No. Um, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of, you know, extrinsic, you know, things that happen with that. And so, um, you know, I think with highly motivated people, I think both of those are very present, um, you know, and then, you know, the last thing back to the fear of judgment is, you know, we're very prevalent on social media and right. Social media, it's really, 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 really easy for, you know, cowards uh, to hide behind a screen and judge you versus coming and talking to you face to face. And that can impact your mind. And for me, for a long time, that impacted, you know, some of the things that I would put on social media. Now I think I'm at the point where I really don't, you know, give an F on, on if people agree with me or not. Um, but it takes it, it it takes a long time to get to that point. You know what I mean? And and I think you have to, you know, just like Steve said on our like the second podcast, we are a third podcast, you know, when hard things happen, you revert back to your training. And so it has to be like a day-to-day thing. Sorry for long-winded, but you know, that's what I see with our trainers. Dean, what about yeah, your kids? And just to so just to summarize that is their conviction, yep, their grit, you know, grit to stick to a process their confidence to speak up and share, um, their willingness to innovate, put themselves out there. All of that is stifled uh, when the Twin Thieves take over. Dean, what what do you think? Yeah, a lot of the same stuff that Brian said. I just, you know, I'm used to dealing with a lot of athletes and being in our situation when we won so many games in a row is always that big time fear of that next year of that class coming in and being that group that was going to, you know, be the group that lost and and not keep the consecutive winning streak going. So, you know, that stuff is real. And I think the most important, you know, piece of that whole thing is Steve never talked about winning championships and and keeping the winning streak going. It was all about the process. And as much as you, you know, you tell athletes that they still get this outside noise or outside pressure of, Hey, we don't want to be the group that ends up, you know, having a loss. So, that, that was really real yeah. that I, I witnessed through that whole thing. And one of the situations, if it wasn't, you know, their teammates, if it wasn't the, the, their classmates putting that pressure on them, it was the community. It was, you know, a lot of different things. And to really stay focused and mentally just understand that we're not concerned, you know, about the winning streak. We're just concerned about getting better every day. And then that judgment thing, I think, you know, that's big for kids, you know, to get up and do what's best for your culture, you know, to say, hey, that's not how we do things around here. And then, you know, how are other my friends or other people going to judge me if, you know, I tell somebody, hey, no, that's not what we do here. What if somebody laughs at me or what if somebody doesn't like me? And because we know kids at that age, everyone wants to feel belonged. They want to be liked all those kind of situations. So it's very hard for individuals to really step up in that role. And especially maybe if they're not one of the better players on the team, but what, how, how am I going to be judged by telling you about our culture when I'm not one of the better players? 
yeah. how are people going to judge me? So um, the, the book was just, yeah. again, both books, incredible. And it's real as far as what I've seen our athletes deal with, especially in this day with the social media and the pressures of being an athlete. Well, one of the things too, guys, that we see with athletes, I mean, and this is, we've talked about this numerous times, Dean, the, 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 the term try hard, right? It's yes. not cool to be, it's not cool to be a try hard, you know, and, and we have that conversation with a lot of our kids on a regular basis is everybody's not going to be, be up at 530 in the morning. Like you guys are like, we, we overly um, compliment our kids, especially our high school kids and even our middle school kids that are at the gym at 530 in the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, you know, they'll, their, their peer group is going to say, well, why are you doing that? Why are you getting up early? And what, you know, we encourage the, the, the try hard. Like if you're being called a try hard, you know, we equate tryhards to the Tiger Woods of the world, to the Michael Jordans of the world, to the Tom Brady's of the world. Those people are tryhards. And so when people are calling you that, you know, we say that that's good. That's what you want to hear. You know what I mean? Well said. And, you know, one thing that I can fear of failure and fear of judgment aren't necessarily bad things either. Right. What we want to say is, though, what's owning you? If you can own the fear of failure and the fear of judgment, they can push you to be great. Um but I always look at it in bad programs, the, the athletes working the hardest are made fun of. They're the ones judged in yeah. really good programs. The people that are judged are the ones that are cutting corners. Right. And so like, it's just a matter of which ones are going to take that. And the last thing I'd add on the twin thieves that Steve really helped me to see is the power of connection is real. Connected teams are powerful teams because they rise above the twin thieves better. I went out to work with, um, the Army Rangers, who are an incredible group in our special forces. And I asked them at one point, one guy in particular, and he had been on incredible missions, just things that I have deep respect for. And I asked him, at what point are you willing to die for the person next to you? You know, at what point in your training together, are you willing to put your life on the line for that person that maybe you've just met or you've just gone through your initial training with and his answer floored me. He said, you know what? A lot of people think it's the crazy workouts we do. A lot of people think it's things like that. But he said, for me, it's learning about my teammate. He said, once I understand the person behind the ranger, that they have kids at home, that they want to return to that family, that they have fears, that they have likes and dislikes. Once I get connected to them, I can't help but be that willing to put my life on the line for them. And to this day, that stuck with me of how powerful it is to have a connected team, because I think we will always fight harder for other people than we even will ourselves, yep. right? And if you think about who are the people that you will protect the most, most of them are your family. Um, and it's not because like if someone was going to break into your house, this is a dramatic example, but if they broke in, you're not going to fight that person because you hate them. You're going to fight because you love who might be endangered. And to me, that's the power of a connected community is they help people and individuals rise above the twin thieves and push themselves further because of that. And so that's one other thing that Steve really has helped me to see. And we try to instill in our teams we work with. You can see why you guys are partners. Steve shared this exact same story when he was on the podcast about the break in it's, but it's so true. I mean, you know what I mean? You know, the best teams don't, don't try and, you know, dominate another team because they hate the other players because they love the, the guys in the locker room with them. And I think that's important. 
Let's talk about some some work you do with mental skills, Lucas, and specifically with athletes and building those mental skills and really how, you know, you know, those skills are being brought out more in, in today's day, but how can that become a competitive advantage for athletes? It's a huge advantage. Yeah, I mean, one question that really opened my eyes was I've been asking people, what percent of your sport is mental? You know, what percent of you performing when you want to most, what percent of that is mental execution? And I've heard a lot of answers and most of them are over 50% say that in some regards, me being great at this is mental. And if you would, one of my favorite activities, I'll bring up a picture of a few different really great athletes, you know, Serena Williams, Katie Ledecky, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, and they all look different. And I'll ask them, what's one common thing that's the same among this group? And now they all train differently. They eat differently. They come from different backgrounds, have different advantages but one, and advantages. Uh, but one thing that's similar among all of them is they win in the dark, right? They have the mindset of a champion. And so from my angle, there's always two games going on when I'm watching an athlete. There's the external one that we see, and then there's the internal one that is harder to see. And to me, that's what mental training speaks to. Um, and it's really in my realm, two areas. One is helping get to the root and not just the fruit. So I'll give a, a quick example. I had a basketball player um, last year or a couple of years ago, really great player. Um, but his coaches kept saying, they're reaching out saying, he's just not aggressive enough. We need him to step up. He's scoring 12 or 13 a game. He has the potential to be phenomenal, but like we're pounding him at practice and it's just like, it's not coming out. And so I connected with them and we just had a conversation. And what I want to do first off, and this is really crucial, is help understand what is their little person voice saying? Because if you don't own that little person voice, it owns us. And so in this case of this young man, he told me verbatim what his coaches were saying. I'm not scoring enough. I'm like, okay. Um, and what's your little man voice saying about that? And he said really specifically, I'm just not good enough right now. I'm not enough. And then my next question is, well, compared to who? And I appreciate this because this was the first time he was really sharing this. And he thought about it and he goes, you know, honestly, it's, I'm not measuring up to my brother. His older brother was a phenomenal athlete, went to college, actually played professional sports. Um, and he's like, I just, I just never feel like what I'm doing is good enough. And then when I get out there in the game, I'm tense and I'm tight. And now the, why is that important to unveil is because that is, to me, the root. Now, out of that, he was playing safe. He was giving up. He was throwing balls, you know, passing instead of taking it to the rim. He was um, doing a few things. So, one, we had to surface it. And then, two, ask, is that true? You know, is it a truth that you have your measuring stick has to be compared to your brother? And he was like, well, you know, of course not. And then we determined, well, what is going to be your measuring point? And we talked about a few key focus things that he could have that he could control. But just bringing that to the surface, you felt some pressure go out of the room that he had been holding in. And so he had a game that night and his one focus was going to be to attack, just attack and play free. And I asked him that night, I'm like, how'd it go? He scored 41 points that night. And now it doesn't always work that way. And I don't want anybody to think it's magic. <laughs> but That is the power of when you get to the root and not the fruit. Like a lot of people, their little man voice 
is like the governor. A lot of our athletes are built like Ferraris with the strength training, with all the things that they have, but their little man boys can be like putting a governor on that Ferrari that can go 200 miles an hour, but only allow it to go 60. So number one is we've got to release that little person voice. Um, and then number two is build a mental game plan, just like a physical game plan, so that when stress hits, you know what your controllables are going to be. When uncontrollables pop up, you've already planned how you're going to respond to them. So we run through a mental game plan prior to performance um, for them, and then they, they go out and execute it. Lucas, how do athletes handle the pressure of performing in their sport when there's such high expectations? I know there's a big difference between a High school athletes get a lot of parent pressure. I know it's when I talk to a lot of high school athletes, a lot of that comes right from the parents, maybe because parents spend lots of money, you know, trying to get, you know, them the best training, you know, the best, you know, skill for their sport. And, you know, they start at such a young age, they're, you know, putting a lot of money and time and travel and all that over the years. And then, you know, look at some of these high profile athletes that, you know, these professional athletes that, that you have dealt with, you know, they sign these big contracts or the team has got this ranking that's extremely high. You know, what are some things that they do to be able to handle those types of situations? That's a really great question. And I'll speak from my experience and I'm sure there's a, a lot of ways to answer that one. Um, my first question would be, how do you evaluate yourself? You know, because if you evaluate yourself based on uncontrollable things, wins and losses, which are the easiest to evaluate on, um, you're going to be in trouble because if it's uncontrollable, then by default, the feeling of yourself is going to be up and down. I'll give you a quick example. Um, Dave Roberts from the LA Dodgers, who if people don't follow baseball, he's like the coach of the Dodgers, right? They call him the manager in baseball. And I asked him a very similar question because uh, a few, a, a year prior, before we started working together, his team was in the World Series, Dodger Stadium's packed, um, a lot of expectations on that game. And he made a pitching decision that didn't go his way and people blew up, right? Like he's getting booed off the field by his hometown fans. He's one of the winningest managers of all time. In the post-game press conference, someone lets him know that even the president of the United States at the time had tweeted about how basically garbage that call was that he made. And I asked him, like, how do you get up? Like, how do you go back out there? How do you put it on? How do you go? And he answered to me, he said, and I'll never forget it. He said, you know, my scoreboard's different than the average person's. He said, not only do I want to win, he said, but my scoreboard is different. He said, did I do my best out there? His faith is really important to him. So did he live how his faith would want him to live and lead? And then did he do his absolute best? And he really believes that, you know, the, the softest pillow at night is a clear conscience. And so if you can build that level of how I evaluate myself, because if you evaluate yourself, how fans evaluate you, or if you evaluate yourself, how social media does, it's going to be up and down. And so first developing controllable standards that you compare yourself against, I think is crucial. Um, and the second one that I've been finding is uh, how do people handle intense amount of pressure? They think about themselves less. So when our little man voice gets loud, who is our little person voice focused on the most? It is us. It is where is my rankings going to be? Where is my scholarship going to end up? It's where, how am I going to be treated? My minutes. 
And the people that seem to handle expectations the best lose themselves in the performance of the team, winning the championship as the team, being an amazing teammate. And what happens ironically is when we pour into the team that we ultimately get the best results for ourselves as well. And I've seen this play out over and over again, so much that when I work with a individual performer, think a swimmer, a runner, um, someone preparing for the Olympics, the first thing that I challenge them is who's your team that you're fighting for? Because I know that they will handle the pressure and the expectations more if they're fighting for a team and with a team instead of just for their own accolades. And it's crazy too, because individual accolades typically come to the people that play in the best teams. You know what I mean? Yep. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just ironic how, how that happens, but anyways, um, Lucas with, with coaches and athletes gaining trust in each other. Um, what are some character, you know, what are some ways that, that coaches and athletes can build trust? And then what are some characteristics in your opinion of a great coach? And I mean, you could just list every characteristic about Steve Jones, but if there are anything else outside of that, you could, you could go into those two. <laughs> yeah. He took them. We're, yeah. we're done. Uh, <laughs> no, it's inter- it's a great question. And I love the word trust. because I think it's, I think it's overused and underdefined and unfortunately yeah. gets lost a lot, but it is to me, the superpower. I've had a room of 500 coaches at one point and ask them about the greatest coach in your life. Um, and if you would imagine all the answers that coaches had, those people look and sound very different. Um, but I asked them to stand up if that coach was an incredible trust builder and everybody in the room stood up. So very similar commonalities among the people, except for those people could build trust better and faster. I think that's a skill set because if you can do that, you have a lot of opportunities with people. When I think back to my, my middle school days, it was basketball, football, baseball. And like I brought up earlier, until I met the most competitive coach I've ever met in my life um, by the name of Thane Jones, and I never thought I was going to run. I was not going to be one of those people, like I brought up wearing the short shorts. But because of his passion, it was like somebody reached into my heart and pulled me into that arena. And I think that's what great coaches do. And so we've studied this in detail. And in fact, we have four components that we teach for becoming an elite trust builder. Number one, and this is from data of asking people, what do they see drive trust? Number one is authentic vulnerability. Is that coach confident in themselves and have they rose above their own little man voice? That's authentic vulnerability. Do they know their strengths? Do they limit their dark side? And are they vulnerable? Are they willing to show passion? Are they willing to own mistakes? I think people in this generation um, can do the BS test really quickly. So if you're trying to be someone that you're not, then everything else you do is tainted. So number one is, can you be authentic and vulnerable in your role? Number two, we look at is care. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And the elite trust builders, they have a unique way to connect with a a diverse group of people um, and really make that happen. But the third one is if you're just a really good person who cares, then you're, you're kind of just a friend until you're really good in what we call credibility. That's our third bucket for building trust. And credibility is, are you great at helping people solve their problem? You know, people come to both of you as coaches, as private coaches, because they believe and you've built the reputation that you can help them get to where they want to go faster and better with your expertise. And so that credibility and paired with the care, 
and authentic vulnerability is three of the four. And then the fourth one is reliability. It's do you do all of these things over and over and over again when it's mundane, day to day, and then in the big moments. I can't tell you how many athletes I've sat across from after an, an injury or after something that was pretty serious where they no longer could add value to a team and they were frustrated with their coach because they were basically cut off. And I literally saw that trust level just drop from that athlete to that coach because when push came to shove, when they no longer could score for that coach or that team, they were no longer valued. And so trust went out the window. But then I also have had coaches where when that athlete goes through a really difficult time, they step up even more and then trust is solidified more. So when we assess coaches on trust, we want them to be incredible in those four areas, authentically vulnerable, care deeply, be credible. So people know that you are really good at your craft and then show up over and over again, especially when it's hard by being reliable. Lucas, that was awesome, man. I'm going to get the next question, but that could have been it right there. You know, our podcast is called Get Your Edge, and we ask every one of our guests, you know, what is your best advice that you would give them? I like that question a lot. Um, I want to think about it. Can I, can I share two quick stories to to put my put my piece in that? Would be one, are you playing the long game or the short game? Um, the long game is, for example, I had a friend growing up, um, his name is Kyle and, uh, you know, he, we played basketball from little on up together and Kyle had the skills of a post, but he was five foot 10, um, and just an incredible guy, but that's small for a post, right? A massive heart. If Kyle's listening to this, maybe he was five eleven, but nonetheless, um, he was a smaller, a smaller post and, he had, though, the heart that you would want in a teammate. Over the years, he didn't get to play as much as what he would have wanted all the way through senior year. There's no doubt. Um, but I never once heard him complain. I never once heard him get down. It was always about how can we just be better? How can we win as a team? And he brought it. He was a great teammate, worked ridiculously hard, was grateful. And it didn't pay off in the short term. He could have easily have asked, like, what was the point of all this work if the only payoff was going to be getting a scholarship or whatever it was in basketball-wise? But then you fast forward into college. He gets into business work at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, becomes the president of a club because now all those skills that he developed of being a leader, of showing up when it was hard, man, they all came out. And then he realized he was really good in business. So he was the president of this club. That propelled him to end up signing a deal with a company that most 50 year olds would have been jealous of at the time. And he came out at 20, 22 years old. And to this day, I just looked it up before I got on here. He's done like over a billion dollars worth of deals. Uh, and he's 33. Now, short game, a lot of guys in his position would have quit. They would have said, I'm not getting my minutes. It's not worth the time. I'm going to go do something else. But he stayed in it. He kept working, and I think high school athletics are one of the only environments where you're going to get real feedback. You're going to be pushed to your limits, and he did that, and it kind of changed him into being able to get the long-term payoff that he wouldn't have been able to do because as an interviewer, how do you stop or say no to a young athlete who says, you know what, I played sports growing up, 
I didn't get to play as much. But one thing I did was every single day I brought it. I was a great teammate. I cared about them. And that's the type of person I want to be on your team. And so my question is, play the long game because your payoff's coming. It just might not be when we think it is. And so the last thing that I would wrap up on is, is this, and this is a story of how swords are made. And so in medieval times, to that athlete who wants to get an edge, swords were really important. And I've wrote about this story a few times, is that people would travel many distances to get to the best swordsmiths, right? Because those people had a rep of building the best swords. And these swordsmiths had a process called the shite. And what would happen is they'd put the steel into the forge, heat it up to 2000 degrees, take it out, and then hammer it and start to shape it into the sword. But they would have to repeat this process over and over to finally get that sword up to 20 times, put it into the 2000 degree heat, take it out and hammer it um, until it was forged into being sharp enough, being durable enough, um, and ultimately to have an edge that it wanted. And what I find from a lot of people is they want to have an edge, but they're not willing to go through the fire. They're not willing to go through the hammering. They're not willing to get the tough feedback that's required to grow. Um, and what I would encourage them is go into the fire on purpose. Get the coaching that pushes you. Surround yourself with people that are going to help you stay in the fire longer and, and really be intentional with it. And when you look for an environment, I would ask them to look for three things. Does this place have the three C's? Number one, do they have unique content like cutting edge curriculum? Brian, you talked about your process, right? Do they have a cutting edge curriculum? Number two is the coaching. Are the coaches really incredible? And then number three is, is it a community that I want to fight for? Because if I'm involved in those three things, you're going to go through the fire and come out, I guarantee you, with a really special edge. Well, Dean, I, I think it that goes kind of to what I sent you and Mangan a little bit ago about burning all the ships so you have you, you can't retreat. There's, there's no retreat, you know, kind of going through the fire and, and finding your way through it. I think that's awesome. I, I think that was awesome. Lucas, Dean, anything more for Lucas tonight? No, just appreciate you coming awesome. on, Lucas. It's, it's been awesome getting, uh, touching base with you. And we got a new book in the works or what's, what's going on? Well, I will. We do. We are excited about, we're in the brainstorming phase we have the book title that we're excited about it's going to be about helping great teams stay great and what teams like what goes into that process of once you've won once or twice what's required to keep going and um steve is an incredible person to be able to help tell that story so yeah. um sure. that's going to be up next awesome looking forward to it Thank well, you guys. And I just want to I want to make sure to thank you all for what you're doing for our community. I know a lot of people that have tuned into your podcast. I've listened myself to it. Really appreciate what you're doing to go above and beyond here. Lucas, can you give us some contact information for our listeners real quick? Yeah, I mean, if just social just, media. Yeah. Yeah, Google me on Google me and social media stuff will pop up at Lucas yeah. under slash Jaden. Uh, subscribe to our email list. We give a lot of cool free stuff away. And um, that's that's the best way. That's awesome. That's going to be a great book. You know, I mean, we talk about it, you know, not only with Kimberly, but you look at, you know, the old Ric Flair line to be the man, you got to beat the man. But one of his, one of his greatest lines that never gets talked about is being the man and staying the man is a whole different thing. 
you know, it's it's a completely different thing. So can't can't wait for that book to come out, Lucas. Really appreciate you hopping on. This is gonna be great. If you're an athlete coach, I'd probably after you listen to this once, go back, get a pen and paper and, and start writing some of this stuff down. I know, I know we're gonna so that's gonna wrap it up for this episode of the Get Your Edge podcast. We'll see you next time. Chop it. <laughs>